Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. We are finishing our time through John's epistles today. It's been a long haul, some 25 weeks, something like that, half a year going through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and now we are at the tail end, the last few verses of the book of 3rd John. And so turn there in your copy of God's Word if you would. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to grab a Bible in front of you, in the chair in front of you, and it'll be page 1026. And so you can do that. We'll be in 3rd John. Any, uh, Climbers and hikers out there? Anyone like climbing and hiking? I did a little bit of research this week. Looking at Mount Everest, not for myself, definitely not, but just how many people climb Mount Everest. Mount Everest has an elevation of 29,000 feet. 29,000 feet, highest mountain in the world. And only approximately of the entire world Recorded that we know, some 6,000 people have been documented to make it up to the, to the top. That's significantly low if you think about how many people are on this planet. 6,000 people approximately have ever made it up to the top. But with, without the help of a team and others right alongside you, and the aid of other things like oxygen, it's nearly impossible even for the most impressive of athletes. It's extremely difficult. And I think this is a picture of living life as a Christian. It's kind of an image. It's extremely difficult to live as a Christian in the world that we see. And it's impossible to do so alone, and without the support of a team around you, a church, to stand alongside you. And I think this is a major theme in the book of Third John. As small as it is, I think there are themes in it, and this is one of them. The need to maintain a bond with the body of Christ and other believers, to love them, to support them, to find support in them, to welcome them in to the community. There's a theme in Third John. The necessity of the church. We see in what we've studied so far a call to support and help brothers and sisters in the church, especially missionaries, right? If you remember this, John is calling Gaius to support missionaries, as strangers as they are, to welcome them in, to support them, to aid them, to send them off well supported. So far, we've seen the call to embrace the church. Today, as we wrap up our study in 3 John, we will see what do we do with the individual who refuses to do that? What do we do with the individual who fights against that? Who is aggressive and combatant against unity in the church, support of the church, love of the church. What do you do with that person? And so let's walk through 3 John one last time together as a church this morning. I want to read the entirety of it, all 15 verses, and then we'll consider what it has to say. Starting in verse 1, John writes, 
the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified of your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all of your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. That's where we've been so far. I had a call to support now. For the rest of it, what do you do with the individual who fights against that? Verse 9, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from us and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. We're introduced to two individuals in these last verses of 3 John. Two individuals that teach us completely different things. Firstly, we're introduced to Diotrephes. It's just a fun name. You guys just want to say it with me? Diotrephes. Yeah. It's not a fun guy, but a fun name. We're introduced to Diotrephes who, he's the kind of person we don't want to be in the church. The kind of person we don't want to be. And then we're introduced to Demetrius. And he's the kind of person we do want to support and partner with, link arms with. And so the goal that I have for us today is to look at both of these men and learn from them, ultimately seeing both the negative example in Diotrephes and the positive example in Demetrius, looking at both of them, okay, how can we be a healthy church? Dealing properly with the individual who fights against it and embracingly, embracing with love the individual who is a godly man and wants to serve Jesus. Learning from both, how can we be a healthy church? That's the goal for today. So let's learn from them, starting with Diotrephes, the kind of person we don't want to be. You don't want to be a Diotrephes in your church. And that's the first three verses of the passage we're looking at today, verses 9, 10, and 11. There's really three things in these three verses, 9, 10, and 11, three things which I think he does, which is toxic to the church, which will hurt and 
if it goes unchecked, kill a church. Three things which he does that is toxic. I, uh, I know of, actually I have some friends where their, their dad was a doctor in Kansas City, well-known doctor in Kansas City, and uh, is currently in prison because over the course of time, I don't know how long exactly, he was diluting cancer treatment with water. Uh, so to prolong his supply and makes it far more profitable. Many died from it because it went unnoticed for some time. When it finally was noticed, he was imprisoned and still to this day remains in prison. It's toxic. It'll kill. It's deadly if it goes unchecked. And I think we see three ways in which Diotrephes does that to the church, Christ's bride. And if it goes unchecked, it can be deadly. So what are the three things Diotrephes does which we don't want to do or we don't want to be like him? Firstly, Diotrephes rejected the authority of Scripture. It is deadly and a slope you don't want to go down to start questioning the authority of Scripture. We see it in verse 9. He says, I've written something to the church. John's writing that, an apostle. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority, meaning his apostolic authority. So here's the situation, okay? Just historically, so we can get context of the letter. John was an apostle. And the apostles wrote the New Testament, at least the apostles and their associates wrote the New Testament, and he wrote previous letters, he says, presumably First and Second John. It's Holy Scripture, and actually we know about Holy Scripture based on Second Timothy 3, maybe it's a common passage that you know, but we read here that all Scripture, that's First and Second John, is breathed out by God. Theonostos is that word. It means that he spoke it himself. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, let's get some theological terms down because that's helpful. Terms are helpful. Being God-breathed, if Scripture is God-breathed, that means a couple things, right? If God spoke it, that means a few things. Firstly, it means that Scripture is inerrant. Inerrant meaning without flaw. It is perfect. No contradictions, no errors. The word is God-breathed. God is perfect. His word is perfect. And not only is it inerrant, but it is infallible. And that means that it can't be with error. So not only is it perfect, but it can't, it's actually logically impossible for it to be with error. It is both inerrant and infallible. It is God-breathed. And we see here that John brings that up. He says, even in verse 12, if you just look at verse 12, towards the end. It's Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone from the, and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony. What's he say? You know our testimony is true. He's writing scripture. Scripture is God-breathed. And you know it's true. And yet still, if we go back to verse 9... Diotrephes rejects it. Putting himself first, he does not acknowledge his authority and he rejects the word of God. That's the first toxic thing. 
First toxic thing that Diotrephes does is he rejects the authority of Scripture. And I think that always starts with pridefully putting yourself first and over Scripture, saying, I know better. That was for then. I know for now. Anytime somebody would reject the authority of Scripture and think that they should go against what has been breathed out by God, it comes from a a rooted sin of pride, putting yourself above Scripture. So any devotional that you might read that says, you're good just the way you are. You're beautiful just the way you are. Nothing needs to change. Scripture says that you are sinful, wretched. Our best actions are filthy rags. And so that devotional might be just putting themselves before God and saying, no, 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 no. You are perfect the way you are. It's putting themselves first, not acknowledging the word of God. Or the TV preacher who says, God has given me a new revelation for you, and it's different than what you think this says. How prideful. Hey, how egotistical, how wicked to put themselves first before the authority of Scripture. Or even the person that's not willing to receive biblical correction. You come to them and say, brother, you're in sin. I see it in the word of God. I love you enough to tell you. You need to repent and turn away from that. It's hurting your life. It's hurting maybe your family, your marriage. And I need to tell you this. The person says, I don't want to hear what you have to say. You know what that is? That's pridefully putting themselves first and rejecting the authority of God in their life. Rejecting scripture always starts with pride. With pride. Not only does Iotrephes do that, but he also slanders people in the church. And slander is just making unfounded accusations. So-and-so did this. You have no proof, no evidence. It's unfounded. It's slander. That's what he does. Verse 10, the first part of it. He says, so if I come, I will bring up what Diotrephes is doing. (laughs) I'd be nervous if I was Diotrephes. John seems pretty serious. If I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. I've been thinking a lot about this verse, just how applicable it is to so many churches and how our church isn't exempt from the threat of gossip and slander and the evil that it can bring into the health of a church if it's unchecked. You got to remember this, okay? Remember this. Diotrephes was most likely just an influential congregant, probably somebody that's been there for a while socially known, accepted, loved, and he uses that influence to breed toxicity, evil, gossip, and slander into the church. He was just a congregant. Just a congregant like you who used his influence. So can we get real practical here? This could be you. Diotrephes could be you, right? And I think that means we all need to do a self-assessment, don't we? 
quite regularly, am I, am I bringing health and charitable talk about the members of this church? Am I bringing that to the table? Or am I bringing negativity, slander, and gossip maybe? Harmful speech that isn't helpful for the flourishing of the church. We need to do a self-assessment, don't we? All of us, quite regularly. Am I hurting or helping with the words that I'm speaking? Right? But this could also be the person that you're listening to that might be sitting in the room. Or listening to on YouTube or wherever. Or reading. Right? We need to notice those kinds of people around us who speak wicked nonsense and doesn't help the church. We need to notice that and then refuse the temptation. Guys, this is huge. Refuse the temptation to be sucked in to the enticements of gossip. Right? How many of you guys know gossip is enticing? Oh, it's addicting. Sarah was telling me about uh, at work some time ago. It's a group of leaders sitting down and uh, doing performance reviews of subordinates in the company. Just saying, you know, how are they doing in this? How are they doing this? Are they excelling in their job? Are they not? And it actually, eventually, on one particular individual, turned from helpful conversation and um, uh, productive criticism to things that really didn't apply to that individual's performance. And it was just unnecessary commentary about him. Socially awkward. Feels weird. These kinds of things. And, and I remember Sarah saying she was just so glad, so appreciative when someone chimed in and said, this isn't helpful. This isn't helpful. We're doing a job performance review about this individual's per- performance and effectiveness in their position. And the things that are being said right now have nothing to do with that. And shut it down right there. That's what we need to be, right? We need to listen for the diatrophies of the group, hear that, recognize it, and then refuse to be sucked in and say, no, I won't have it, and we won't have it here because our, our church's health is on the line if this goes unchecked, right? Quickly, though, It sounds like it didn't go unchecked because Diotrephes' words quickly turned to not only hateful words, but hateful actions. It festered. It manifested into something even more because it went unchecked. It went from hateful words to hateful actions. Just like a disease, if it goes unchecked, it will always grow. Let me read the last part of verse 10. He says, I'm going to bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. So now he's stiff-arming people that are wanting to join the church. Brothers, not just anyone. Brothers in Christ. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and also he stops those who want to bring them in. And he puts those people out of the church. The third thing that I think Diotrephes was doing, which was toxic, was he was picking favorites. Picking favorites. And you could even say abusing his influence. Firstly, he rejected scripture. Secondly, he slandered people. Thirdly, he was picking favorites and using his influence 
in an evil way. He was picking favorites. Can you believe that? Just think about that. People were coming in, Christians, evidence with a regenerate heart, and he refuses to welcome them. And he puts a stop to those who were trying to bring them in and puts them out of the church. Listen, we're not God. Right? We're not God. We don't get to pick and choose who is in the family of God and who is not in the family of God. Simply, we see who is in the family of God. We acknowledge and recognize evidence of a regenerated heart, regardless of if we like things about them or don't like things about them, and we welcome them in because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. But this this brings up a really big topic, really important topic. You may see this evil action that Diotrephes is doing, kicking people out of the church because he doesn't personally like them. You may see him doing this and think, see, removing people from the church is never right. And that would be not true. That would not be true. Church discipline is a sad but necessary calling which God has given the church in the Bible. His motive was wrong. His reasoning was wrong. But we cannot say that putting people out of the church is always wrong. We'd be going against the word of God if that were what we were saying. It's laid out in our bylaws, this procedure. But infinitely more importantly, it's laid out in Scripture. Church discipline is all over in Scripture. Here, I mean, just think about it. In 3 John, verse 10, the first part of verse 10, John even says, when I get there, I'm calling out Diotrephes' sin. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to call out this general sin that seems to be affecting the church. No, he says, I'm calling out a specific sin and a specific person that's doing it. There's no vagueness, no ambiguity, no messing around. Church discipline is biblical. And we see multiple places where sometimes it's even necessary to remove them from the fellowship altogether because of unrepentant, toxic sin. There can be a lot of reasons. Multiple reasons are mentioned in Scripture why that might need to happen. One reason would be for the health of the church. Right? That seems to be quite clear. Toxic sin can't be allowed to spread. It can't be allowed to spread. And so for the health of the church, that person might need to be removed. Another reason would be for the person themselves, not just for the benefit of the church, but for the benefit of the individual. And you say, how in the world is that helping the individual? Well, so that they might see the consequences of their sins, the severity of the consequences of their sins and repent, and return. But I just want to say, of all that, you're like, oh man, am I next? Kind of thing. I don't want you to worry about that or think about that, because it's only for certain occasions or particularly harmful sins, which scripture would say we need to be so proactive in doing that, right? Scripture doesn't call us to be the sin place. Oh, 
you sin, oh, you sin, right? That's not what Scripture calls us to do. But Scripture does call us to be very proactive in dealing with toxic sin, which can be particularly harmful for the health of the church. So, we're back in verse 10. Diotrephes was not right in removing people he didn't like. It's wrong. It's an abuse of power, abuse of authority. It's sinful, it's wicked, and he'll be judged for that. Held accountable for that if he doesn't repent to it. It was wrong that he was removing people from the church, but hear this. The church would have been right to remove him from the church. The church would have been right to remove him for causing division. Let me read a couple scriptures to see that. All agree he is breeding division in the church. Let me read for you Romans 16, verse 17. He says, I I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who are causing division and who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. Diotrephes would fit that category. Maybe more clearly, Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we see, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do more with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So just picture this tragic situation. Diotrephes is standing there saying, leave. Get out. We don't like the way that you worship, your worship style. We don't like your politics. We don't like your skin color. We don't like your people. We don't like your friend group, the people you hang around with. Get out. And the church would say, no, Diotrephes, you're the one that needs to leave. Regardless of their politics or skin color, their friend group, they're welcome here. You're bringing division to the church. Tragic situation and a hard calling for the church. The sad reality is that his pride, putting himself first, not only caused him to disregard Scripture, but disregard God's people. And it leads to great consequences. John is simply saying here, at all costs, church, Gaius, do not imitate Diotrephes. Do not be like Diotrephes. That's verse 11, isn't it? Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. With Diotrephes in mind, he says, whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil has not seen God. So that's the first individual that we can learn from who brings toxic evil into the church and John's call on how to deal with such a person. The second one that he introduces us to is much shorter of a description, but it's Demetrius. Let me read verse 12. This is the kind of person we want to support. Verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Just pause there. Diotrephes was the individual we don't want to be like. 
Demetrius is the person we do want to support. We want to link arms with. We want to bring into our community. Here's the situation, okay? I'll give you the historical context too. Demetrius was likely, I'm not certain, I don't want to speak with confidence here, but Demetrius was most likely the one carrying 3 John. He was the delivery guy. He was the mailman, right? So he takes 3 John from John, takes it to Gaius, and hands him the letter. Knowing Demetrius is going to say, I don't like John, whatever he had to write, ignore it, and I don't like these strangers, get them out. We know that's what, Demet- or that's what Diotrephes is going to do. He doesn't like the authority of John, rejects the authority of John, and he rejects strangers and says, get out. We don't want nothing to do with you. We're good. Knowing that's how Diotrephes is going to act, John endorses Demetrius, his letter carrier. He says, Demetrius is a good man. He has good repute or good reputation. And his life is according to Scripture. The truth itself endorses this man, and we also give him our endorsement. So John endorses his letter carrier, that they would accept him, that they would welcome him in. Actually, if we, and we don't have to turn there, but you can just maybe jot it down if you're interested, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul does the exact same thing. He endorses a person by letter, where he says these people have letters that endorse them. That's what John is doing here. He's endorsing Demetrius. Notice specifically, though, if we just have verse 12 there pulled up, what he specifically says about Demetrius. What do we see? You see, Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone, so he was known as a good guy, generally welcomed and accepted. A man of, you could say, good repute. But also... His life lined up with Scripture, right? Not only does he have a good testimony from the people, but from the Bible, he has a good testimony on his life. Both of these qualifications are given in 1 Timothy 3 for someone that needs to be a pastor. If you aspire to be a pastor, you need to be a person of good repute and whose life lines up with Scripture. Demetrius fits those two. So Gaius needed to welcome, bring in, accept Demetrius. A stranger as he is. But he also needed to anticipate welcoming with open arms John, who Gaius knew well, because John was hoping to come see him. We'll see that in the rest of the last few verses. John says in verses 13, 14, and 15, I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. So Gaius needed to welcome in and accept Demetrius, and he also needs to be ready to welcome in John, because he's planning on coming. (laughs) Can you you just imagine hearing this letter, what Diotrephes must be thinking? (laughs) Like... I don't want John to come. (laughs) Please don't come. But he needed John to come. But think about that. Gaius needs to welcome Demetrius and soon John. And what we know of those guys is just that they were godly men who followed Scripture. 
We got a lesson there, church. You got to hear this. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if it's a stranger or a sister church member down the road. It doesn't matter how well you know them. Isn't it the gospel that God can save the worst of worst sinners? That, and this is to the person sitting in the room, please hear this. You can never be too far gone in your sin for God's grace to grab you and pull you back. Never too far gone. Even Diotrephes is never too far gone. He can be brought back in upon repentance and welcomed into the brotherhood with open arms like the father welcomes in the prodigal son. That's the gospel, that God saves the worst of sinners and no one is too far gone. And if they're living lives for Jesus, they are are in the family, period. Ephesians 4 says we have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. It's not that church and our church, we're separate. No, 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 no. One faith, one baptism, one God. So we welcome in brothers and sisters with open, open arms. So this would be my application for you, for, for me even, for all of us. <clears throat> As a church, we need to be like Gaius. We need to be on the lookout for Demetrius. To welcome him in. People like Demetrius that we should welcome in with open arms and link arms with them and support them and love them. We need to be on the lookout for opportunities like Demetrius. And listen, when we love others, we honor Jesus, don't we? When we love others and when we bring in and we embrace the body of Christ, we honor Jesus. Listen, Jesus didn't die on the cross for his bride just so that she would hate herself and divide every opportunity she gets. Jesus died on the cross for his bride, the church, that she might be unified under him. So we need to be on the lookout for any opportunities of individuals like Demetrius to love them and welcome them in. But we also need to be on the lookout for any People like Diotrephes. People who are harming the church so that we can stop what they might do to our church. Maybe you're sitting next to Diotrephes. Could be your spouse. Could be your best friend in the congregation. Could be you. When we fend off, when we correct Diotrephes, people like Diotrephes around us. Listen, we honor Jesus. Jesus didn't die on the cross for the purity of his bride just so that she can be infected by toxic individuals and for us to stand around and let it happen. We honor Jesus when we protect his bride. And so may we be on the lookout and fend off wolves and also on the lookout for anyone and everyone who needs to be brought in 
so they might hear the gospel loved and encouraged by the word of God. That is for sinners that need to know Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.